Hi, morning, Kevin. Hi, Mike. How are you? Yeah, good. Yeah, it's been a good week. Yeah, it's been a bonkers week, but yeah, it's been a good week. <laughs> yeah, same here, but in a good way. Yeah. So just out of interest, markets up or down? Oh, it's up. It's insanely up versus this time last year is a completely different story. So that's why, despite being incredibly busy and having quite a lot of evenings of working this week, I'm not yeah. going to complain because uh, it's definitely exactly right. an alternative. I would completely agree. Yeah, I think the same thing. Certainly my marketing activity seems to be getting a better response. Yeah, it's good news. So this week's topic. So this is about kind of trusted advisor-based selling. How do you become the trusted advisor? And bizarrely, I've had probably half a dozen conversations in the last two weeks about exactly this topic. Yeah, and I, th- I think it is a really interesting topic because there's a whole evolution of what sales, I think, traditionally is seen as versus what it actually is now. Certainly when you're talking about kind of consultancy-based sale, I guess, in terms of what you're doing. And I think that that trusted advisor is absolutely, in my opinion, the way to go, as opposed to, yeah, kind of almost like the traditional car salesman sort of old-school tactics that I yeah. haven't been a fan of for a long time. And I feel like, actually, I think this is maybe part of the reason why we're growing right now is that's the sort of phase that I think is a complete dying breed, which I had absolutely exactly celebrate, right. honestly. And I think, you know, there's a very natural tension. If you're inside an agency and, you know, you're relatively small, you're kind of between that half million and two million turnover, you're always looking for the next deal. So your pipeline, it's never huge unless you're very fortunate. You're always looking for the next deal. And the danger is you want to just like close sales quickly and move on. And if you've got a salesperson, they're comped on obviously closing deals. Therefore, they're going to chase short-term money. And, you know, my kind of message on the trusted advisor is this is a long-term game. If you truly want to engage as a trusted advisor, it's going to take time before a client trusts you. Yeah. And first impressions are really important. So if someone's interested in working with your company and the first thing they see is a slick salesperson who's trying to sell them everything but has no idea what they're talking about what does that say about your company correct and i think equally the other way around if it's someone who rather than selling asks you questions and tries to understand your problem and then help you straight away you're going to trust them because they're not trying to sell you something that they've sold to everyone else and they just want to make money they're trying to understand and help and support and kind of tailor that solution to the specific problem i mean 25 years ago we were taught about being the trusted advisor. And there was a book written by a guy called David Meister back in the day. And it's called The Trusted Advisor. And it's still read today by consulting firms. And I actually, I still use a model. In fact, I've got it in front of me. I can read it because I guess you can't see it now, but trust equals credibility plus reliability plus relationship over risk management. Yeah, that's exactly it. And when you say to someone, how do you build trust? What most salespeople will do is they'll immediately go to relationship. They'll say, well, I build trust by forming a relationship with someone, a professional relationship. Well, that's only one way of building trust. And in fact, what you'll see most of the very senior people in big consulting firms do is they don't start with relationship. What they start with is credibility. You build credibility as an authority. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Because trust is doing what you said you would do over time. If someone does something that they said they would do once, then Okay, great. But like, once they've delivered that over months or years, that's where the real trust starts. Exactly. So I have a client now that I've known for about three years. And I'm, in fact, I've got two, about three years. And I'm now, I think in their words, they're kind of trusted advisor. 
Yeah, they will pick up the phone to me and have a conversation about things on their mind. It's taken three years. And that's not me selling. That's just being there to provide insight. Something else that, uh, so I've got another model. You know, I like models, Kevin. So another model that's used in the consulting firms. Have you seen the DIKW model? DIKW, can't say I have. I don't remember any acronyms. So custom knowledge, information, data. So again, for the listeners rather than the viewers, what this model is, is it's, it's looking up on Google, D-I-K-W, data at the bottom, information, knowledge, and wisdom. Right. And you work your way bottom up, I take it, in terms of you start with the data in order to get to the wisdom. Otherwise, it's backwards, isn't it? It's backwards and there's no content. You poke the wisdom and it falls apart because there's no data to support it. It's just opinion. And you'll see this a lot on social channels. I've no problem with anyone having an opinion, provided they've got some rationale behind it. But if you've got opinion with no rationale, then that wisdom, that opinion collapses and no one trusts you. Yeah, there's a quote that's much more articulate. I can't remember how it was worded, but it's around kind of smart people kind of learn from everything and stupid people know all the answers to everything. <laughs> and, right. and I think that's true. It's, it's very much what you have as perceived wisdom might not actually be that smart if it's just, it, it can just be opinion led. Correct. Mm. What you're talking about is how do you make that data-led and backed yes. up as opposed to, I think this, because that, that doesn't mean anything as a one-off opinion. So anyone that's listening to this that thinks, yes, I want to be the trusted advisor, you know, it, it's, it's absolutely a journey. You can't read a book and become the trusted advisor. You need to focus on a niche of expertise. You need to get deep into your content. You need to get the data points to prove to people that your opinion, your wisdom is based upon lots of data that you've analyzed and that you've got insights. And that's the journey that in the big consulting firms in KPMG, they take you on, is that the reason that you work 14-hour days at the beginning is because you're working on on that pyramid. You're normally, you're often working at the data and information level to get some knowledge. And your consultancy job is go away, build hypotheses, gather data, test the hypotheses, and start to build that knowledge base. Yeah, that makes sense. And then work with your partner. I think there's a lot of parallels in some of the discussions we've had on previous episodes with thought leadership. Thought leadership, you're not a thought leader the day you wake up. It's like you you have to go through that process of learning, iterating, and then then you get to draw some conclusions and opinions that are based on that kind of evidence and effort, essentially. And I think that's, there's probably... As you reach that stage of trusted advisor, I would imagine alongside that, if you wanted to be a a thought leader, that's where it would start to get a lot more credible as well. Exactly. And that's why you see people, you know, why do people write books? Well, they write books because they want to write. People like to write. I like to write. You do. But often they'll write books as a big credibility piece because they become thought leaders. And that reinforces their position as the trusted advisor. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So, you know, if you're looking to go on the journey of becoming a trusted advisor, A, it takes time, but B, you know, thinking about how you package your content becomes really important. And you've done it for years. You know, because you speak at conferences a lot, you're known as being, you know, highly credible and authority in your field. As you say, I'm, you're never the finished article. You're always learning. Same here. But people, you're a go-to person. Yeah. And I, I think you need a level of humility as well, because if you're a trusted advisor, you've got to be humble enough to know when you don't know something. You've got to be able to ask questions in order to add context to that picture because a one-sided view 
is not understanding the challenge in front of you. And yeah, I think you, you have to have that mindset of you are learning as you go along, but you're doing it based on a lot of experience that puts you in a good place. Um, but it doesn't mean that you should get complacent with what you're doing. It's how do you build on that experience to apply it to the next problem? And I think a lot of that comes with the, the transparency and honesty of let's try some things. It doesn't work. Like there's a difference between the trusted advisor and the expert is what I'm trying to say. And the expert or self-proclaimed expert could be, I know all the answers, copy me because I know it all. And the way I perceive the trusted advisor is they have that knowledge. They might've done it all before, but everyone and every specific problem is different. So let's bring that together and let's understand their specific problem. And then let's build upon my base of knowledge on how I fixed that in the past, but apply it to your problem. And then we'll test it, we'll benchmark, we'll prove and move it forward. But it's not just a, here's my opinion, let's set it and forget it. What's quite interesting about that is just thinking through examples and stories. Where I work with kind of chief execs and the leadership team of agencies, I act much more in the trusted advisor role. I have a knowledge base, an experience base, and they have a problem and an opportunity that they want to achieve. And together, we work out, well, what's the real problem statement? And then we work out what the right solution is for them as an organization. And that's that trusted advisor you're co-creating. When I'm working with salespeople on tactical negotiations, basically, they're doing a deal, they're stuck in the negotiation, they've got so far that I act as the expert because they don't want an inquiry-based coaching model of them finding the answer They want, in your experience, Mike, in the situation, what do you think will work? And at that point, I then give them, in my experience, in that situation, this has worked for me, you could try that. And those models are quite different. I've always appreciated that from you, that there's a balance of, I've had a mentor and advisor going back 10, 15 years ago, who used to frustrate me a lot because... He'd never give me an answer on anything. It was just too much coaching and too much trying to get me to answer the question. And I was just like, well, I don't know. I've never done it before. Just tell me what to do. That's why I'm asking you. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And and he never wanted to tell me what to do. I had one of those. It's really frustrating. But what I really like is in those situations, you know, A, if I don't have the experience, you'll nudge me a bit further. Or B, if there's urgency and you want to actually show this is really important, you've got to do something about this now. I think that's where you would then say what I would do right now. And you still won't tell me I need to do this because it's my business and I'll have the final call on if I want to do this or no. But as a trusted advisor, I think that's where you move beyond the coaching. So it is absolutely, let's understand the problem. Let's try and solve that together. And if you can get the answers out of me, you've helped me become better and I'll solve that the next time. That's the ideal scenario. But I think there's also a case for, actually, they're not seeing it. This is what I would do. And it's a great illustration, Kevin. It's a brilliant illustration. And thank you. I'm glad I'm in that camp of being a trusted advisor. I love that. An example around cash flow management. You know, when we faced that kind of challenge about, you know, a year, 18 months ago about cash flow management, because I'd been through it several times before and you hadn't at that level, you're right. I said, in my view, what we should do is we should do this. We should implement float as a cash flow management tool. We need daily cash flow reporting. And even our finance team that we were working with, that we work with now, they were like, oh, well, we'll just do like a monthly cash flow. And I'm like, no, I need a daily cash flow. And when we explained it, they were like, okay, I get it. Yeah. 
that's a good example of when you need to take the bull by the horns a little bit more because yeah. otherwise it's to switch analogies. It's kind of like if you're driving towards a wall, you don't want to be asking questions. You want to be turning exactly. the steering wheel. Yeah. Me <laughs> so, saying, Kevin, what do you what do you think's in front of us? What 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 does it look like? What might it feel like if we hit that wall? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're <laughs> right. And at that point, it is slam on the brakes, turn, turn yeah. the steering wheel quickly. And then worry about the questions afterwards in some ways of like, just let's fix the problem that's right in front of us. I mean, I think actually it's not a crazy analogy because there's a lot of psychological research that says in a crisis, what you need is simplicity and clarity Yeah, because your mind's in a state of fight or flight. And what you need is to cut through that and go hit the brakes. You do. Absolutely. Because it stops all the noise and you just focus on that one instruction, but you need someone with you who knows what they're doing because you need to believe that's the right thing to do. Yeah, and, and that's, again, trust. That's built over time. You, if you said that, if we just got in a car together <laughs> for the first time, <laughs> and it's a know, test drive or whatever. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. It's not the same as, yeah, kind of if you've known someone for a while and they've backed it up and they've, they've proven that they know what they're talking about. So, you, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go with your opinion on this case. Exactly. In general, you get it right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that makes sense. And what's your experience, Kevin, of working with clients? You've worked with hundreds of clients over the years about, and just think of, I always think stories are great. You don't, don't name the client, obviously, but just any stories in your head of when you've managed to become that kind of trusted advisor position? Yeah, there definitely are. And I think the turning point is alignment and being on the same team. I think agencies will come out of all of the cliches and it's, we're an extension of your team, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I think for me, it's, Anyone can say that, but not everyone does it. And one example I can think of, I can't remember if I've used this as an example in a previous podcast episode, but I'll repeat it anyway. There was a client that was a solicitor's and I had a, I think it's like an annual report or maybe like a quarterly report meeting with them. And it was horrific. I was getting grilled by people who were legally or professionally trained to argue. And I was trying to prove my point against them and I'm not professionally trained on how to argue. I just try and show them information and be nice and <laughs> hope that they smile and agree with me. And that completely failed. And I got grilled <laughs> to the point that I remember midway through that meeting, one of them said, like, oh, that's the first time that you smiled today. And yeah. I hadn't smiled because I didn't want to smile. I was just getting absolutely grilled. But the turning point in that meeting was I said, actually, do you know what? I think you're right. And I think this could be improved. This is the learning from it that I take from understanding your problem. And moving forward, well, maybe at first, in hindsight, I think this is what we should have done. So I was accepting responsibility. Good. And in order to fix it, this is what I would do. I showed a level of urgency over, this is important. We'll do this as soon as possible. We will fix this. We'll come back to you within the next and X amount of days and show that progress has been made. And what that's going to mean to the long term is X, Y, Z. And that whole meeting flipped into, okay, I trust him now. And I trust him because he's on my team trying to help me. And I didn't get that before when it was going back to that car salesman, the slick. I'm amazing. Look at me. No, you're not. (laughs) It's just a complete head-to-head clash. And I think once you actually showed we're on the same team, we're fighting towards the same targets, some of it didn't go that well but we're going to fix it and we're going to improve it. That's always been where the breakthroughs in the relationship come from. It's actually, when stuff's going well, it's very easy. It's when stuff goes badly 
what do you do to react? I think that's quite often the turning point in any relationship of how do you then overcome those challenges that basically shit hits the fan. It's like stuff, stuff goes wrong and that's life and that's what happens. But I think once you can get past that kind of, okay, we've gone through a bad patch, we're going to come out the other side and be stronger for it. I think that's where the real growth comes from. It's where the trust comes from because it does show that you are in it together. Otherwise, you just quit and walk away. I think it's a great example. Illustrations are always the perfect way, I think, of, of talking about these kind of points. And it also talks to, out of that illustration, the bit about risk management. So on the bottom of that kind of equation that we kind of popped up, yeah, the bit at the bottom about risk management, what you were saying to the client also, I think, if I'm interpreting it, is you know, there's a risk of things going wrong again. So what we're going to do is we're going to work out what happened, what went wrong, why it went wrong, and make sure that next time it doesn't happen. So we're going to reduce your risk of failure. Whereas if you just stood there and said, yeah, these things happen, you know, we'll change what we're doing and we're going to go again, and you don't learn from the past, you've not managed the client's risk because the meeting after the meeting will be, we're very concerned. These were lawyers. They manage risk for a living. That's what they do. They're all senior partners with a stake in their section of the business. So smart people alongside, yeah, being naturally very argumentative. Exactly. And being you know, super smart people with no domain knowledge in SEO, right. where are they going to go? Their mental model is going to go to what they do every day. So someone's going to go, look, I don't know what Kevin was talking about. If you hadn't handled it well, it would be, I don't know what he's talking about. It's all very technical, but it sounds like we're just going to throw more money at this problem and it might or might not work. That sounds really risky. We're not going to do that. Whereas you turned it around. And I think showing the risk when you're, you're not just blue sky thinking, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, and it's going to be amazing. I don't believe someone that says that, but I would believe someone that said, here's your potential upside. Here's what your competitors are doing alongside that. We need to make sure that we're on the ball because not everything is in our control. Here's maybe a realistic view. And that's where we'd like to be at a minimum of here. Here's some risks. If it doesn't go well, actually you could dip and et cetera, et cetera. And we're aiming for the best. We're putting all of our efforts behind achieving the best. Yeah. And we've got mitigation plans in place in case the worst happens. Yeah. Then you're prepared. You're not going in blind thinking positively, but ignoring the issues that are right in front of you. And I, I think, again, it's, um, it's that full picture view that it's not, um, I like a Simon Sinek yes. kind of snippet from this, but I was going to say it's not kind of positive or negative. It's optimistic. And his difference between positivity and optimism is positivity is, yeah, everything's going to be amazing. Optimism is you've done your research, you know what you're, you're in for, good and bad. Yeah. And then you're optimistically going to try and make the good happen. And I think that's what happens in this case of, yeah, of course I want it to succeed. I wouldn't be here otherwise, but you do know the downsides, the risks, and you're not going to be blind to them and oblivious. And you're going to tell the clients about them. Yeah. So we're actually, we're out of time again. So just kind of just summarize for our audience, what's your takeaway from this? If you were, if you were sat there out there as an agency or a consulting firm, what would be the key message? I think the key message is to listen. It's to understand the problem and to keep quiet at first while you're understanding that problem. Ask questions, yes, but don't give opinions at first. And then some of the later points we've covered, maybe there is a a time and place for saying, this is what you need to do. But in in that tone of, this is what I would do, as opposed to, you absolutely need to do this. I think that's really important. Yeah, I, I think those are probably the key points for me. 
So I think for me, um, that I like the trust equation because it's a simple model to understand in my head. And that, you know, where do you start building trust? I start with credibility. You know, if I don't know this person well, but I'm connected on LinkedIn, what I'm going to start with, if they're interested in a topic, I'm going to start with, you know, here's some ideas, here's some thoughts, here's a paper you could read, here's some books that I've read that you might enjoy. I'm going to start to demonstrate my credibility and my authority on a topic. I'm not going to sell at all. You'd be amazed by the amount of emails or LinkedIn messages I get every day on, would you like to buy a guest blog post? It's like it's 1992 <laughs> and it's just full of all of this stuff. It's insane. And, and you're right, for the, the opposite reason of a trusted advisor, it's just, it lacks any credibility whatsoever. Exactly right. Very good. I really enjoyed that. It's great. Yeah, I look forward to the next one. Sounds good. Thanks, Mike. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks.